is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Yep. USMCA, Canada, Mexico, US, you know, NAFTA 2.0. That's a terrific trade deal helping throughout our economy. In fact, in the shorter run, next few years, it's more important than China trade. I mean, USMCA passage in the House and Senate is probably going to add a half a percent, a half a percent per year for GDP. Now, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that to brag, because you know what? I don't have to brag. I don't have to, believe it or not. I'm doing that to say that that's the kind of thinking our country needs. We need that thinking. We have the opposite thinking. We have losers. We have losers. We have people that don't have it. We have people that are morally corrupt. We have people that are selling this country down the drain. And now, Stacey Washington. Hey there. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are live and direct with Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Guess what? We have a jam-packed show for you today. We are going to be chatting with Bob Woodson. He is the, uh, oh my, so he <laughs> he is the um, head of the, the Woodson Institute. He created that and he's going to come on and talk with us about the Oberlin case being a victory for justice. Um, He is also going to be um, just kind of discussing this whole reparations flap. Um, I got I got a little breaking news for you. Um, A a real summation of what's happening here. We're going to have this continuing discussion of reparations coming from the one side, the left. They're going to continue to discuss it, bring it up, you know, do all this, this drama. Um, and then, you know what they're going to do? They're going to not give reparations. So just just so we're clear, there will be no reparations. Okay? So it's never going to pass the House. It's never going to pass the Senate. Even if the Democrats were in charge of all three branches of government, they're not going to do it. Look at the promises they've made blacks in the past. They always promise blacks big stuff and deliver nothing. Inner cities, schools, crime, safe neighborhoods. Even something as small as clean water in Flint, Michigan, where all of the Democrats are in charge, they can't even get those people clean, potable water. So the idea that they are going to somehow magically, the same people who didn't believe they could get a 3.2 GDP, those same folks are going to do what now? They're going to uh, like start up some kind of fantastic reparations revolution and they're going to make something happen? They're not. They will not be able to do it. So, um, yeah, today on the program, we're going to talk about ICE losing 100,000 illegals in fiscal year 2019. Uh, so, you know, the fiscal year begins in, I think it's September of every year. Um, so they're, they're going to be, you know, having to kind of explain how that happened. And then we're going to also chat with, uh, you know, we're going to discuss the pro-life issue. There's a ton of stuff going on with, um, here in Missouri, the Planned Parenthood has now said there, there's certain stuff they're just not going to do, and they don't want to hear from any of the rest of us um, on what they're doing. And then, of course, we're going to be taking your calls. 
And you can join us at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. So we're also going to talk about the 2020 fundraising. Uh, um, the Republicans are really pulling in some serious hay. And uh, we're also going to just unpack the family units that are coming across the southern border. We discuss it, as always, I do this too, uh, as these people are coming from South America. But they're actually coming into America through the southern border by the droves from 52 different countries. So we will chat about that as well. Um, So here we go. The encouragement. I want to talk today about three aspects of God. God is good. God is generous. God is gracious. So looking ahead a few verses to James 117. Actually, let's let's look at um, James 1. James 1 verse five, actually. Um, let's, let's look at that. Um, it, what's, what's interesting about the whole thing is that we tend to think of God, either he's, you know, like angry dad, or he's all love. We never think of him in his, his, his entirety. And it, it's kind of conditional based upon what we've experienced as children, like what, what God has told us, um, or what, not what God has told us, what our parents have told us about God, what our parents tell us about God really makes a huge difference. So James one, five through eight says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double minded and unstable in all that they do. So. That is telling us that, first of all, God is good. He will give us wisdom. He's generous to all without, without saying, well, you shouldn't get any wisdom because you're, you know, you're not that smart or you're not this, you're not that. God gives wisdom to anyone who asks, but you have to believe and not doubt. So God is good. God is generous. Well, we know he's generous because he tells us he gives to all liberally. He, he does not, uh, kind of pick and choose and say, well, I won't give you anything because you're not tall enough or you're too short or what have you. He gives generously. And then God is gracious. He gives without reproach. That's in verse five. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, God is never insulted or exhausted or tired or, you know, kind of like, I'm so, you know, I'm so sick of her coming to me. I'm so sick of Stacy. Like she's always over here. No, he's never like that. He doesn't scold us for coming. He never will. And he's always willing to help. He's always willing to be with us and help us in any aspect. But do not come lacking faith. In verse six, it says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed in the wind. Well, we are not to be blown and tossed in the wind. So we concentrate all of our focus upon him and what he says. We get rid of all of the other stuff because we, we're not going to go from God to the last thing we heard on Oprah or Dr. Phil or the Wendy Williams show or whatever. We're, we're not doing that. We're going to God and letting him be our source. And then we can be assured that at that point we can watch what he's going to do in our lives because he's faithful and he will not fail us. Um, so it, uh, the last verse I want to share is verse 17. Um, so... <laughs> Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. 
Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who do th- who does not change like shifting shadows. So, um, this is this is a big special thing for us as Christians, having a Father in heaven who cares deeply for us, who will absolutely take everything into consideration and do the very best for us. He he will he will not only do the very best for us, but he's al- always continuously working things out for our good. So he is gracious and good and generous. And so that is fantastic. And that's really encouraging. And that's the encouragement for today. Um, so now I want to pivot over to the 2020 fundraising. We have Stuart Varney talking about just the amazing amount of momentum that the president has launched off with. $24.1 million raised in the first 24 hours since he announced that he was running for re-election. It's number one. Big money starting to pour into the 2020 race on both sides of the aisle. Vice President Biden, former Vice President Joe Biden, he held a Wall Street fundraiser Monday. I think 180 people showed up and I believe he pulled in about, what, $500,000 for Biden's campaign. He hopes to bring in 20 million for this entire quarter. Okay, I want to straighten that one out. Pocket change compared to the president's numbers. Check this out, a tweet from the RNC's Ronald Romney McDaniel, quote, President Trump has raised a record-breaking $24.8 million in less than 24 hours for his re-election. The enthusiasm across the country for his, this president is unmatched and unlike anything we've ever seen. A lot of that money, by the way, came in the form of small donations. That was for President Trump, $24.8 million, 24 hours. So this is um, a lot of momentum, and it's pretty exciting And what I want to just point out is that if it were Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton raising that kind of money, it would be all over CNN and CBS and NBC and anything else they could get it onto. It would be online. Everyone would be talking about it. Instead, since it's President Trump, it's kind of like, well, you know, not discussing it. And another reason they're not discussing it, well, it doesn't bode well for them. It doesn't look good for the uh, the party the Democrats, their candidates, that the president has that kind of momentum going in. It's reportable. It should still be discussed, but it is not being discussed because it makes it look as if Americans really like President Trump. Now, you've got uh, Chuck Todd. He called out Ocasio-Cortez for her ridiculous statements about concentration camps on the southern border of this country. Chuck Todd calls her out about it. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Chuck Todd is getting raked over the coals online for simply telling the truth that these are not concentration camps. These are these are detention centers. And if you don't want to end up in a detention center, you simply don't cross the border illegally. It's that simple. You aren't no one's being rounded up and forced into the detention centers. These people are actually lining up and requesting to be in the detention centers because they want to file asylum claims. So. In the end, even people who are really reliably in AOC's corner are completely and utterly just flabbergasted by the statement that she's made. Now, I want to point out something else, too, with with this statement by him, uh, by Chuck Todd. He was careful to couch his criticism of her in criticism of the Republicans. He went so far as to say that people are afraid to call her out on her misstatement because they share the same ideological bent as AOC and that 
this is a problem on the left, but it's even greater problem on the right because Republicans routinely don't call out President Trump on his statements because we agree with his ideology. Now, first of all, that's a bald faced lie. There are plenty of us who, when it is needed, are critical of statements that the president makes. But beyond all that, Chuck Todd presumes to have an understanding that the majority of what the president says and does is wrong, and Republicans are simply silent on it, instead of the truth, which is the majority of what the president is doing is right in line with what he promised to do when he was running for election the first time. And the reason Republicans aren't calling him out on what things that Chuck Todd doesn't like, I guess we could say things that Chuck Todd doesn't like for 100, Alex, is because we don't disagree with it. And it's not because we're racist or xenophobic or that President Trump is racist or xenophobic. It's that they have the wrong view of things. And I, I, I think in some ways when I say they're deceived, that gives them too big of a break. That gives them too big of a, an out. It's one thing if you absolutely have no access to any other viewpoint. You don't have any way of educating yourself or finding out the truth. And so you believe something that's false because that's your paradigm. Everything around you points to that false thing being the truth. And so you are deceived. But it's completely another thing when a person would say, I choose to believe these things because these things tickle my feelings. These things virtue signal and make me popular at cocktail parties. These things enable me to hold a viewpoint that makes me feel good as opposed to being rooted in the truth. That kind of Uh, self-deception. It's not really self-deception. That's a choice. That's a decision that's being made to hold views and to behave in a way that is utterly unacceptable. So, uh, you know, we we do have an option. The, The way out is to simply consume the truth. Find out what the truth is, consume it relentlessly, even if it means going against the grain or what your political ideology dictates. When you get to that point, when you're willing to just say, look, you know, I, I'm going to be aligned with the truth, even if that means I have to change some things, then that's where the rubber meets the road. And it, it can be very beneficial. It can be the thing that, that makes, well, everything else, because the truth is the heart of the matter. It's the central focus. It's what we have to have allegiance to. Otherwise, nothing makes sense. All right. <laughs> when we get back, we're going to have Bob Woodson of the Woodson Center. Stay there. Ministry of Preborn meets abortion-minded women right where they are. When a young mom sees her baby on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to keep her baby. And I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry, and it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. This mom chose life for her baby. She's been such a joy. Her name even means rebirth and sort of being raised up from the ashes. Uh, I now see my daughter and I cannot imagine my life without my happy, lovely, joyful, smart baby. And I'm so grateful. Preborn runs and leads Christian pregnancy centers all over the country. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. 
Hi, I'm Prof. Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Have you ever thought about the importance of rivers? Many of our towns and cities were built along the banks of rivers. Rivers take us places. There are fish in the river. We use its water to irrigate our fields. We harness the power of the flowing water to give us electricity. Yes, there is life in the river. A relationship with God is much like a river. I love the imagery in Psalm chapter 46, verses 4 through 7. Listen to these wonderful words. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. And then verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. That's a powerful picture. Verse 4 tells us that we bring joy to God's heart as part of the river. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. We bring joy to God's heart as part of God's river. Secondly, the river's destination is the presence of God. We're caught up with this flow, this life-giving experience that we have. We're going someplace. We're going into his presence. Then God himself is in the water. Verse 7 says, the Lord of hosts is with us. It's not just that he gives us plentiful resources that are found in his river, but God himself is right there in the water. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. If you have a relationship with Christ and you are in the river and God is taking you to his presence, but along the way, he wants to use you to give life to others. You've been listening to Legacy Moment with Crawford Loritz, pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia, and heard on the weekly program, Living a Legacy. For more information, go to livingalegacy.org. Legacy Moment is a production of Moody Radio. Life is precious, and a child is truly a gift from God. Even inside the womb, the baby is living with a heartbeat that grows stronger every day, but abortion stops that beating heart. Protecting the life of the unborn is more than just a noble cause. It's our duty and our privilege. Thank you for continuing to fight for the sanctity of life and stay encouraged. It's a winning fight. A reminder from AFA. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, welcome back to the program. Check us out at StacyOnTheRight.com. You can also find out more by going to AFR.net. Um, right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Bob Woodson. He is the uh, actual founder and president of the Woodson Center, and we are so excited to have him with us. Bob, thank you for joining us today. Oh, I'm just delighted to be here. So I'm pretty pretty uh, pumped up. First off, I saw your hit on Tucker Carlson where you just had a lot of fun debunking this whole reparations thing. And we've been covering it on the show, Bob. I mean, I've been talking about it. I don't support reparations. I think it's a ludicrous idea. I actually think it's kind of a sneaky thing for the Democrats to even bring up, knowing they're never going to get it passed and they're never actually going to give black people reparations. To have hearings and to talk about it and make like it's something that's possible, it's kind of awful. But you had some interesting takes on it. I wanted you to kind of share that with the listeners because I, I think it needs to be heard. Well, what I said was it's not only injurious to the country, it's patronizing and insulting to, to somehow believe that you can pander and get black votes by always walking through the race door. Um, reparations is just a ludicrous idea because what it ties is monetize suffering and oppression. 
but also not every there are millions of uh, of people who die who are white uh, in in abolishing in the abolition of slavery, there were some blacks who were slaves. I mean, so it gets even in the details of it, it's just ludicrous. But what it is is a distraction, and most of it is being promoted by wealthy black uh, 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 pundits and entertainers like Glover and others who profit from the country. And, and aggrieved. I mean, as long as people are angry and aggrieved, then they're eligible to be recruited to vote for the Democratic Party. And so, what I have been saying, I, and I'm, I'm a veteran of the civil rights movement, having left, uh, led demonstrations in the 60s, and I can tell you that the goal of the movement wasn't to vilify whites, it was to destroy racism. And Dr. King said, you cannot, the, racism isn't bad. It is bad because it is evil, and that black and white must unite against evil, and that's what we did in the civil rights movement. Uh, and so, this current crop of activists are really, when you embrace reparations, you really are embracing white supremacy. You really are saying to blacks that your destiny is determined by what white people do or don't do. And that is just contrary to the past. And so I just think it's a ridiculous uh, proposition, and uh, we must speak out and, and oppose it because it, it, it distracts from the real problems facing black America today. And those, many of those problems are internal. More blacks have killed more blacks in homicides in one year than were lynched in 70 years in the history of this nation. So tell me how reparations will address the problem of, of high, uh, uh, of, of, of black on black violence, uh, of out of wedlock birth. And, and so this is what, we, what, what we're trying to get people to realize. So and and one of the things that you just pointed out there about the the black on black crime the I mean really if you go through everything you've just shared what I hear when I bring up these subjects is that there's there's oppression going on and so when you see black on black crime or if you see poverty or you see the broken you know black family statistics those are things that are the responsibility of white people now, I, I disagree no, with that strongly, but that is what well, is being me, told. Let me supply you some evidence to refute that, okay? If, 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 the, if the legacy of racism and discrimination were responsible, then black families didn't decline until the 60s. In, in between 1930 and 1940, during the years of the, uh, of the Depression, when the unemployment rate of the whole population is 25%. It was 40% in the black community. Our marriage rate was higher than any other group in the country. And so if, if racism, and, and when racism was an official uh, policy of, of, of these cities, our community did not commit crimes. Elderly people in the 1930s could walk in their community without, being, uh, without fear of, of their grandchildren. And so what you are talking about is a recent phenomenon, because up until 1962, 85% of all black families had a man and a woman raising children. We did not have the out-of-wedlock births. We did not have the incarceration rates. 
the incarceration rates were did not soar until the 60s of the poverty program. So there are just facts that reduce the fact that, that somehow the problems that we face today are related to the legacy of slavery. It's just not patently untrue based upon the facts and data. So this, okay, so again... I totally agree with what you're saying. And, and I think what we're facing is a real problem where people don't want to believe the truth. I saw in the, the hearing for reparations when it, it, you had Louis Gohmert outlining how it was the Democrats repeatedly supporting slavery and refusing to vote for anything that would mean, you know, freedom or, or emancipation for black people. And this is time after time, vote after vote, that this is being taken and that some of the most prominent um, segregationist and people who were members, open members of the KKK, they were also elected Democrats. And at the end, or, you know, he, he basically took a little pause and, and a black person in the room screams out right, right in the hearing, you lie. And he says, actually, these are, these are, these are based on facts. These are the true things I'm stating here. This is a, a case of people refusing to believe the truth. I mean, isn't that accurate? It really is. But I think those of us who support the truth, we've got to really um, use different messengers to communicate that truth. That's why what the, the Woodson Center does is that we represent low-income people of all racial and ethnic groups around the country. And um, we, work, we work with ex-gang members, and we work with ex-prostitutes. We, God, God has delivered, uh, uh, through redemption, uh, people from all sorts of challenges, and for them, the greatest challenge they face is overcoming brokenness. Now, when you give people who are black and brown, who have undergone this journey from sin to redemption, and you ask them whether racism was responsible for their wayward life, they will tell you no. But we have got to allow these people to make the case against reparations, as opposed to scholars doing this. This is what, what I point to all the time. When, 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 when John the Baptist sent his servants to Jesus and said, are you the one or shall we seek another? Jesus didn't pull out his resume. He healed in their presence and say, go tell them what you saw. We've got to do the same thing when we're combating those who are trying to mislead the country on racism. Let's go to some people who are low-income blacks who have been redeemed and transformed. Ask 20 of them whether or not their problems were because of racism or because of bad choices and value challenges that they had. Well, and so, so we that's really an excellent need a point. Different messenger. I, I agree. I think we need different messengers, but we also, I think... When we look at what Democrats are doing to black people at the inner cities across the country run exclusively by Democrats for decades, and there's just this persistent insistence on, well, Democrats care about race. Democrats um, only they're the only ones who aren't racist. Democrats care about black people that what Democrats are successful in doing is spreading out the, the gains of the civil rights movement spreading those out to other groups that don't have any right to even claim civil rights victory. So, you know, LGBTQ, they use the same language as what was used during the civil rights era. But there there are no civil rights that they're being denied because they, you know, of their chosen sexual behaviors. And this is a, a it's an allegiance issue. I 
I find it insulting that Democrats are so insistent that I can't survive without their their help, but they haven't helped anybody. No, they really haven't. And in fact, let's talk about voter uh, uh, suppression. The latest voter suppression is apathy. In cities run by Democrats like Washington, D.C., Newark, and Trenton, in the last mayor's race here where I live in Washington, D.C., the voter turnout in the mayor's race in low-income black neighborhoods was 6%. And this is true throughout the country because a lot of those blacks feel as if there's no reason to vote because Democrats, most of the failures that most of the incarceration rates, most of the failures of families are occurring in cities run by black Democrats. Uh, and that's why I, what, what the Woodson Center has done is that we are mobilizing the people who are directly suffering the problems to speak for themselves. That's why we're, we're raising funds to do videos, uh, we have a new book out. It's called uh, uh, "Voices from the Lessons from the Least of These," and in it we chronicle all of the successes that low-income people, black and brown, and low-income whites, how they have achieved uh, against the odds. Not because uh, they've been held back by race; it's because they have been blessed by grace, and that mm. grace has come as a consequence of their own willingness to, to uh, embrace uh, character redemption and transformation. Absolutely. So and I want to pivot before we're out of time. I want to move over to your, you have an opinion piece over at thehill.com about the Oberlin case. And this is an, uh, the, the case of this college that really they, they overstepped their bounds and now they're being made to pay. I'm so happy to see this ruling. It's a victory for justice, but the title of your piece is, Oberlin case is a victory for justice, though not for black youth portrayed as victims. What are you talking about here? Well, the Oberlin case is, you know, uh, a, a young black man, a student stole some wine and he was caught by one of the, the attendants at the store. And they followed him outside and two of the black student friends beat up uh, the man and he was uh, uh, admitted to that. And the students organized the protest and said, even though the young black man was stole some wine, they said he was profiled racially, and they organized months and years of protest and boycott, almost ruined his business. And so the business uh, filed suit against them and won a huge judgment, $44 million judgment against the Oberlin College because they encouraged the suit. And what I wrote in the Hill column was the, real, the other uh, person, people who lost, were the black students because we are raising a whole generation of black students who believe that their future is defined by what white people have done to them, and therefore they have become exempt from any personal responsibility. The second message is because they have been uh, uh, the victims of what they call institutional racism, they're therefore owed something to compensate for this disadvantage. So you really are raising a whole generation who define their their life by what somebody else does, and creating a whole uh, uh, group of victims. Who is going to want to hire a student who's going to come into the company, and the first thing they want to look for is evidence of disadvantages and racism? Who wants to hire people like that? So I feel sorry for those students. 
that those parents paid seventy thousand dollars to go to Oberlin so they can learn to be a professional victim. And and the key here, because you know, Bob, we have kids in college right now, and so it's when you say seventy grand a year. Um, that is a lot of money for a college education. You know, you can go to a state school for much less than that, and your kid can graduate with a, gr- a degree in a field that they can actually get a job in, um, and and really n- not nearly as much student debt. Seventy grand a year. So that's name ID. That's the prestige of Oberlin College. But they're not giving a product that that parents should want to pay for, are they? No, they really aren't. They're really disadvantaging those parents but also creating false expectations for the children. I mean, they're going to have to go out and compete. And, and so that, that is so self-destructive to, to, def- to help students. For three years, they, they maintain this, this attack on this business. So for three years, black students at Oberlin have been using all their energy uh, as a victim, defining themselves as a victim. And somehow, and to me, uh, that is the that's the they are they are the other victim here, a real victim uh, of the kind of of of, of a victim of, of the kind of outrage that they're, they're learning, and the college endorsed it and supported it. So, in the end. It's it's really about now parents who have kids at Oberlin saying, look, you know, we we're we're either not sending them back or we're not going to donate to the endowment fund or or there has to be some kind of backlash from the parents to kind of help solidify what this ruling has showed them, which is that they're way out of line for their activities. I would like to see black parents also against against Oberlin for uh, uh, misdirecting their children to believe that their biggest problem is white racism. <laughs> that would be an interesting suit, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know what, Bob? It would also be something else for them to be engaged in, which would maybe stop them from continuing their wrong activities. Because they, right now, I, I think they're probably hoping that they can appeal or they can somehow get away from this. But the ruling itself is a smack in the face. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they're going to get away from this. I mean, the case is so blatant. Uh, you know, and, and these students, again, uh, what we're trying to convey to students is that people are motivated to change when they see victories that are possible, not injuries to be avoided. There were 20 blacks who were born slaves who died millionaires. Mm. But our students don't know that. Well, they need when, to. When we, they need when to we know that. When we were in the grip of seg- segregation, we started our own railroad when a thousand blacks were fired. There's so many stories. Of, of how people have triumphed against the odds that our children are missing. And yeah. this is what they need in order it's to abso- succeed. You're, you're absolutely right. Bob, thank you so much. That's the music. We're at the end of this segment. Thank you so much for your time today. I hope to speak to you again soon. Bob Woodson, founder of the Woodston Institute. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. We've been waiting for new episodes of Ryan DeFrady's Secret Agent. Well, wait no more. Ryan is back. And I've got a world to save. As Ryan and his mom battle quirky criminals, kids will love these 30-minute lessons on obedience, truthfulness, and respect. You're my partner and my mom. That means we stick together no matter what. Ryan DeFrady's Secret Agent from American Family Studios. Episodes 7, 8, and 9 are available now at afastore.net. 
This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. Sometimes I get too focused on the what ifs and Lauren points out that if I worry myself to death about things, I might end up doing nothing. My and Tony's philosophy about things still give great balance to our marriage. We see that some of our different perspectives come from our parents. That's one reason God brought us together, and we make good decisions when we work through things as a team. Lauren is like her mom. Both are very strong women with a great deal of faith in God. And that's one thing we as husbands can learn about our wives. We can see strength in areas where we might need help. Remember that differences are positives in a marriage. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. My heroin addiction had me living in filth. The sole reason I got up in the morning was to get high. But at Teen Challenge, I broke free from the drugs. Now I have goals and dreams again, and that is an awesome feeling. If you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, Adult to Teen Challenge can help. There are centers across the country, and you can find the one nearest you at 855-AND-ADDICTION or at TeenChallengeUSA.com. This is Urban Family Talk. The Bible records that Jesus calls out Satan. Yeah. Because you can see this demonic attack on the reason that Jesus Christ was sent. Yeah. He came here to die for us, to be the propitiation for us. Mm -hmm. We cannot do anything against the truth, only for it. Airing the Addisons, weekday mornings, 6 to 8 Central on Urban Family Talk. I'm Hank Weinblum, and word lovers of the world unite. It's time for your word of the week. The socialists have done in Venezuela all of the same things that socialists, communists, totalitarians have done everywhere. The concept of socialism dates to the Industrial Revolution, meaning resources are owned by the government instead of rich people. Lenin and Trotsky thought socialism was a step on the road to communism. India calls itself a socialist nation, so does Portugal. Venezuela does not. Many European nations have socialist policies. America has some socialists. I believe in a democratic socialism. To some, it's practically a dirty word. He said elsewhere in that speech that socialism is for compassion, justice, and love. Well, I don't know what nation on earth socialism has ever achieved those objectives. But if you collect Social Security or Medicare, you're a little bit socialist. With your Word of the Week, Hank Weinblum, Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The president has been very clear on this, is that he wants to maintain the integrity of the system, make sure that we enforce the rule of law and address this crisis that we have on the southwest border. So one of the things that we're doing is we're making sure that we're looking at this from a from a simplistic view, viewpoint. If you are here illegally in violation of federal immigration law, if you've received due process, there should be consequences, including families. So what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that we apply the law and we enforce the law across the board. We're not going to exempt a, a, a certain demographic. We need to make sure that everybody uh, sat, that, that has been here in violation right. of the law has consequences. 
Generally, that's correct. We have a demographic that has had an enormous amount of due process. They've had access to attorneys. They've had access to interpreters. They've received a final order of removal from a judge. We've even sent them letters saying, you've received an order. Come, come to ICE. We'll work with you. We'll give you 30 days to get your affairs in order, and we'll help you return you to your country. Those have been ignored. Those people in those, those categories, over 90% haven't showed up, and they've ignored the order. What I'm trying to tell them, Steve, real quickly is, look, as ICE, I don't want to come to your door. I don't want to come to your home. I don't want to come to your workplace. What I'm asking these individuals that have these final orders, come to ICE, work with us in a humane, dignified manner to return you to your country of origin as it's been ordered. That's what I hope we can do here. Okay, so <laughs> listen, uh, and welcome back to the show. Thanks for making your home at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I have been so impressed with the the and there are just a few of them who are in leadership at u.s customs and border patrol uh, immigration and customs enforcement department of homeland security when they come out and they come on these shows and they're they're talking you just get the real impression you know these are real people they're doing a job and they're not ashamed of it they're not they're not upset by it they have a job to do and they want to do it well they want cooperation as most law enforcement wants i mean I, you know, my father's in law enforcement and, and there's nothing worse than encountering someone who is not going to cooperate with you and you have a determination that you're going to do your job. And so you know that there's going to be there's going to be a battle of wills and you as the person in law enforcement know that you're going to win that battle of wills because you have a duty to discharge your the service that you're providing, whether it's protecting and serving or keeping the peace or responding to a 911 call. And so this is no different. And, and I don't understand why we have this, it's kind of prevalent in this country where we have people thinking of immigrations and customs enforcement as some kind of, you know, these are horrible people, but you're fine when you dial 911, you expect the police to come. You know, it, it's the same kind of attitude we see with Black Lives Matter hating the U.S. police departments across the country. They're fine hating them until they've been assaulted or there's somebody kicking in their back door, then they're dialing 911 and they expect the police to show up and, and they don't, they don't expect the police to show up and say, Oh, I'm sorry. You're with black lives matter. Um, you're on your own. We, we don't help people who hate us. No, they expect them to do their duty regardless of their personal feelings. And that's what's happening here. And so the gentleman you just heard speaking there is acting ice director, Mark Morgan. And he was speaking on Fox and Friends about how the president has been very, very clear that he wants to maintain integrity in the system, making sure that we enforce the rule of law and address the crisis that we have on the southwest border. This is it's sad, first of all, because what happens is because we have a broken system at the southern border and because we have people pouring in and because the people who are pouring in are so very. The people who are pouring in are bent. They are determined they are focused on coming into America and living here and working at regardless of their status. They understand that if they are to go through the legal lawful process of immigration, it costs tens of thousands of dollars and it will take 10 to 12 years and they want to work now. They have family here now and uh, this entire chain of events goes back to Ronald Reagan and the amnesty that he signed. And, and I want to be clear here because I like Ronald Reagan just like any other Republican. But that was the mistake he made. If you have to point to anything he did that lasts on as a legacy, that's not something we want to replicate. It's that signing that amnesty. 
because that let the first 9 million illegal aliens in. It was 3 million plus their family members through trade migration. 9 million illegal aliens became Americans. And that's the root of the problem we have now because those people want their extended family here. And their extended family are now here. And the extended family of those extended family are now here. Do you see the, the system? It incentivized more illegal immigration that amnesty did. So I want to open up the phone lines. I have, I have so much more for you today. We have a jam-packed program planned for you. Um, and I, I was like zombied out because I had so much stuff to do this morning. But I'm fired up because, again, live behind the mic with you at our home at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Call lines are open at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. So the additional story that I teased a little bit earlier is about Border Patrol Chief Carla Provost. She's talking about family units from 52 countries that have illegally crossed the border. Now, you know, this is, again, if we incentivize it, it's incentivized, right? If it's incentivized, that means that there's and there's there's... It gets to a place where you can't stop it. Smugglers falsely advertise a safe journey to the border, misleading families that anyone who arrives with a child will not be deported under current U.S. policies, which is not true. That, that's absolutely not true. Smugglers primarily target the Northern Triangle. Family units from 52 countries have illegally crossed the southern border so far this year. So they're already in the country from 52 different places. In just two weeks, more than 740 individuals from African nations, primarily family units, have been apprehended in the Del Rio sector alone, compared to only 108 who crossed the southern border in the first eight months of the fiscal year. Families from countries like Brazil, Nicaragua, Ecuador, Cuba, Peru, Romania, Vietnam, I mean, can you believe the far-flung nature of these countries? Vietnam are taking the same pathways through America and South America and Mexico to take advantage of the gaps in our system unbelievable. He had a four-month-old baby from Romania and his father among the migrants crossing into the U.S. on the southern border in February of 2018. This is crazy pants. It has to stop. Uh, So now I think we may be able to go over to the phones here. John in Missouri, thank you for calling the show. Yes, uh, I'm calling because first we're going to talk about black-on-black crime. I hear that all the time. But yet it's still suspicious, say, that it's more white people killing one another than black people. Now, as for the reparation, there's not enough money that can pay for the atrocity that have been did to dog people all over the planet, and it's still going on. So I'm not interested in your reparation. But you don't have no problem giving money to Jew people who do not fit the description in the Bible, Okay, but that's not the issue here. Jewish people who receive reparations, that's not the issue here. We're talking about the black reparations that are never going to happen. Yeah, yeah, John, that is exactly what we're talking about. I don't want it, but you don't have no problem giving the Japanese reparations. But this is about... Okay, I can tell you. So we're going to go ahead and mute you because you can't filibuster me on my own show. Because I get to tell the producer or, you know, the call screener to mute you. Um, And if you can calm down a little bit, we can have a conversation, but you cannot filibuster. You cannot just run your mouth nonstop and repeat yourself over and over again. It's a conversation. It's a back and forth. So to address your first point, 
Um, reparations are never going to happen. So the conversation that we're having is a total waste of time. But Democrats want to have that conversation because they can't provide any proof that their policies will help any of their constituents or their base. They don't have any policies that will help any Americans, regardless of what their ethnic background is. Now, as far as you bringing up Jewish people, that already happened. And since I'm not a magic wand person, I don't have a unicorn factory in the back of this house here someplace. I can't roll time back like they do in sci-fi movies. I can't change what happened with Jewish people. And that's not the issue here. The issue is not what happened to Jewish people. It's the lies that Democrats are currently peddling that they're actually going to give reparations to blacks. Now, do you have a response to that? Look, if you give one people, you set up opponent people in a land, you give them millions and millions of taxpayer dollars, you give them money to be all, all we ask for one group. Give us some land, set us up like you do the Jews. Okay, all right. So he would, he, the problem that he's having is that he's saying what happened with Jewish people should automatically happen with black people. But Jewish people went for reparations and got it done when the victims of what happened to them were actually still alive. So we're talking about slavery, which was over a very long time ago. And there aren't any current there are any current people who were slaves alive right now to receive the reparations and reparations go to the victims, not the victims descendants. So it's, it's a complex conversation, but if you're in your feelings and you're allowing that to drive the conversation instead of logic, then it becomes much, much more difficult to actually have the conversation. Victoria in Texas. Thank you for calling the show. Hi. Yes. Hello. I have a few things to say and you know that the gentleman that just spoke I, you know i really got to pray for him because i've i've got some in-laws i've got a, a a mixed family um i married into a very long history of of a black family and i was the first white so i understand <laughs> i've had several conversations and you know the problem is the only thing i can get out of them is they just want whites to pay so, you know, I got to pray for their bitterness and and hope that God unveils their eyes. And even the ones that are Christians, you know, and that's another subject about the black churches, um, you know, it, how can anyone who is a Christian, you know, get on a Democratic ticket? You know, because <laughs> it's everything that God doesn't stand for. And so, you know, that really boggles my mind. But, you know... And you had a previous caller who talked about the colleges. Well, I'll tell you, I lived in Dallas um, for many years, and my grandchildren went to Dallas schools. I'm telling you, all those schools, these are little kids. These, they're getting them when they're in kindergarten and pre-K. They're teaching them already that white is bad, that uh, Donald Trump and the, Dem- and the Republican Party is bad. I've actually, we moved out of Dallas, and we are out in a, in a way south of Dallas now, but I've had to educate my kids. They're now 12 and 10, but I have to sit them down in front of the um, news channel, and let and I had to let them hear and make choices of what they believed in and what they didn't. Well, they reversed because they were taught. It was ingrained in their mind that the only way to go was Democrat because they were part black. Mm. And, um, you know, I had to educate these kids, which they are totally good now, and they can they know the difference between right and wrong. I went to El Paso three weeks ago. When I came back on the plane, when I was coming back to Dallas, 
There, seventy-five percent of the plane were illegal immigrants. They, I got pictures. They were in mm. a totally separate line. They didn't have to go through uh, the the uh, the checks. They didn't have to take their shoes off. They had no identification. They had two pieces of paper and whatever card they came with from their country. They went right through. Uh, they didn't have to go through security. And, of course, they didn't pay for those tickets. Seventy-five percent of the plane was illegal immigrants that they that we paid for to send them to Dallas. A week later, I, I go back to El Paso. I'm coming back. Now, this time it's only like 25 percent of the plane, but it's still the same thing. And, and, and they're just... They're just rushing these people to get them out and through somewhere, um, you know, so that uh, th- they can get somewhere and somebody can take care of them. Now, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that if you've got $15 and and you've got mouths to feed that cost 100 you can't do that. And it's not – look, I fed all – every one of those little kids, I had food. And I fed them in that airport. I gave them food and stuff. It's not that I don't love those kids. My heart went out to those kids. But number one, there was a gentleman sitting there next to me with a little boy. I just know it wasn't his. The little boy was very sick, very sick. You know, a deep, deep cough. And and the gentleman wasn't holding him, wasn't calling him, you know, or anything. And, you know, I just, first of all, I think what parent could send your child off with the, somebody that they don't know, number one, or what's going to happen to them. But, you know, I mean, the whole thing just really bothers me. And uh, like I said, I, I, my mm. heart went out to them. I love them. I love all races. Well, but, I know, just want to say thank you so much, Nancy. Um, thank you. I'm sorry, Victoria. Thank you so much for calling and for sharing that, especially about the, the flights. It's kind of unbelievable that this is what's happening. Um, If you're hanging around, stay with us. I will take calls after the break. If you're leaving us now, God bless from the heartland. It's been a pleasure to be with you today on American Family Radio. Stacey Washington.